Good evening, listeners. It's February 25th, and you're tuned in to 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It is currently just after 7 p.m., and on a Sunday, that can mean only one thing. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Kristen Finch. And I'm Maggie Exton. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show, or you just want to find out more about all the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration, where you can find out all about our up-and-coming guests and links to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Inspiration dissemination is recorded live, and should they occur, any opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and their guests, and do not necessarily represent Oregon, Oregon State University or this station. Tonight we are joined by Erin Abernathy from the Department of Integrative Biology. Hello, Erin. Hey. So, Erin, tell us who your PI is, what year you are in school, and a little bit about your research. Uh, so my PI is David Lytle over in the Integrative Biology Department, and I'm in my third year. And my research is focused on determining how communities are structured downstream of dams in the Colorado River Basin, and those communities are specifically aquatic invertebrates. So what do you mean by structure of a community? What is a community? So a community can, and in this sense, it's just the aquatic invertebrates. So it's, it's both the insects and um, the, the clams and the snails, it's all the, the invertebrates in the, in the streams and the, uh, they're living on the bottom of the river, mostly under rocks or crawling around on top of the rocks. And so I'm looking at how um, the communities are structured in the sense of the abundances uh, and the different species. Okay, and so what do you think uh, is the or how do you think dams could affect this community? Yeah, so there's a there's a, a large body of research on the different impacts of dams. Um, but in this case, downstream of dams in the Colorado River, there's not a lot known um, about, you know, why we see these specific communities, especially in the, the Grand Canyon. There's only a couple of insects. And so this research came out of a desire to know why you only see you know a handful of bugs so in the grand canyon you just see a couple midges or um so, or black flies there's there's the very low diversity and so the usgs was interested in figuring out you know what could have caused that low diversity is it you know is it natural is it a result of the the flow downstream of the dam and so um they collected a bunch of different samples downstream of dams um all along the colorado six total six total dams outside of that grand canyon uh stretch and they brought i was brought on as a grad student to um help go through these samples and and do the analysis and write up the research for um the differences both between the dams as well as the gradient downstream of the dam so they collected a lot of uh, samples from like close to the dam out to 15 miles away from the dam. Oh, so. Okay, 15 miles. And you sample all along that. So they got, uh, there's like five to eight samples throughout that stretch. Um, yeah. And how many, or what were some of the results that you found? Did you find that the diversity is actually different near the dam than it is farther away from the dam? So we did, yeah. The preliminary results are 
are that that the diversity changes as you get as you get farther away from the dam, even in that short span of time. Because if you think about it, you know the Colorado is this huge, huge river. There's um, we measure uh, the flow of rivers in CFSs, so cubic feet per second, and you can think of a cubic feet as a basketball of water rolling down the river. Oh, yeah. that's a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you think about it, this basketball. The, the Colorado on, on, on most days has more than 10,000 CFS rolling down. So these huge rivers um, and uh, even so if these huge rivers, you know, 10,000 CFS, 15 river miles isn't that much. You know, these rivers, this, the Colorado flows, you, you know, all the way from you know, Wyoming up down to uh, down to Mexico. And so in that short span of 15 miles, you do see a change in the communities. And uh, so your research or your dissertation focusing on dams isn't just limited to this uh, particular sample at the Colorado River. What else are you doing to study dams? Yeah, so I got this really cool opportunity to go on a couple more trips down just the Grand Canyon section. And um, while there's a very low diversity within the main stem of the Grand Canyon, there's an increased diversity in the tributaries that flow into it. So tributaries are small streams flowing into um, a larger river. And so these tributaries that are flowing into the Grand Canyon have a higher, a much higher diversity of insects. And so um, I collected uh, a bunch of insects in tributaries from all the way down the Grand Canyon, um, from you know Lee's Ferry, where you put in up close to the dam, down to Diamond Creek, which is about 225 miles um, away from the put-in. And so we stopped it I think the first trip we stopped at you know, 20 tributaries. It was great because the tributaries are super pretty. The canyons are really narrow and there's lots of diversity of bugs. And so we collected a bunch of bugs and I went back to the lab and identified them. And it, uh, we got enough samples of three different species. So a water strider, a mayfly and a caddisfly. And we got enough replicates of those in each of the, you know, about a dozen tributaries to do population genetics on them to get it. Um, how often they move between the tributaries. And then that'll help us, you know, uh, figure out, um, hopefully, one of the goals is to figure out if the, the, uh, the main stem where they don't occur is a potential dispersal barrier to them. Oh, so why is it that there are more, it's more diverse in the tributaries than in the main stem of the Colorado? So that's one of the big questions that the, uh, the Grand Canyon um, Monitoring and Research Center is focusing on. So that's a, um, an office of the USGS, the US Geological uh, Survey. And, and that's one of their big, their big questions because you've got you know, this main stem mm -hmm. that you're really focused on. You've got, lot, you've got endangered species like the humpback chub in there that eat the bugs. So that's one of the relevant uh, uh, reasons you, you want, you're interested in the bugs. It's like, okay, they're fish food. And so they are, um, they're not sure. They're not sure if it's... Um, you know, we don't have the pre-dam samples. Right. So we don't know if these bugs occurred here in this main stem before the dam was in place, but we can make inferences that, that you know, maybe the diversity was a little bit higher because, you know, if you go upstream in a uh, above Lake Powell and Cataract Canyon, there's a higher diversity of bugs still there. Um, and so, and it's, it's, it's similar, similar uh, size river, similar geography, uh, geology. Um, and so you can infer that that maybe maybe there were a higher diversity of bugs in the in the main stem of the Grand Canyon, and um, they're not sure. They're not sure. It's one of those mysteries that they're they're working on is why the diversity is so much higher in the tributaries. 
Some of the bugs wouldn't occur in the main stem. Some of them are tribul- tributary, small, small stream specialists, but confusable. it's uh, conceivable that some other ones might. Yeah. <laughs> so your research has um, sampling right after dams, a little bit away from dams, and then some sampling around the tributaries off the main stem of the Colorado River. Mm-hmm. Um, but are you also trying to figure out, or what, what are you trying to figure how are you trying to figure out which specific factors are affecting kind of these bugs or these communities? Yeah, so replication is a big deal in, in science. And we, we only have those, those six dams with the, the samples downstream of them. And so if you wanted to get at a specific factor that was causing the change in the communities, like if you had a hypothesis that it was, it was the flow, then you'd want, or a temperature, you know, dams change temperature by pulling water from different parts of the water column from that reservoir behind it. Right. Um, and so if you had if you had that hypothesis that it was the, the temperature or the flow, then you would want, ideally, you would want um, a couple different dams, you know, or, or more than a couple, but, you know, some high replication of dams that have both very similar conditions and very different conditions. And, and so we have six dams, but they all have, you know, they're kind of different. And a lot of dams are, are they, they operate on their own schedules and, and have um, a variety of, of you know, flow regimes um, downstream of them. So my, the idea for my third chapter is to um, do a meta-analysis to try to get at the causality of, the, of what, you, what you see um, affecting those communities. Um, and a meta-analysis being, you know, using peop, uh, uh, results from other published studies uh, to try to up the replication. Right. So your research <laughs> doesn't have this, like, ideal situation where you can actually have an experimental dam and, like, make all of the conditions equal across your dams, because that just sounds like that would never happen. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's interesting, you know, you say it would never happen, and dams are these, these really complicated structures in the sense that there's so many entities involved in both regulating them and operating them and and depending on them for for both drinking water you know irrigated irrigation water downstream i mean and and you don't only have just one dam you have the, our river networks nowadays are just you know a series of dams and so you and those those dam operators have to have to um coordinate with each other all along the river um and so it's it's a really complicated system, and there's and there's not a lot of wiggle room for experiments. But there is, you know, even in the Grand Canyon, they're having some high flow experiments, and they're they're you're talking about some more experiments that they could uh, do to try to study the bugs, even. So, so why are you focusing on bugs? Like, why what what are them? Why do they matter? Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's something I think. Um, more people should ask and more people should be interested in. I, I do a lot of outreach with uh, uh, like middle school kids. I bring in a bucket of bugs and we talk about why bugs matter. Um, and so bugs, the, a big thing people can relate to is fish food. So they're food for fish. Um, a lot of these bugs are also emergent insects. And so that means they'll have a larval stage as, as a bug in the water. But then they emerge as, as an adult to go find a mate and lay eggs. So they're fl- and, and they fly around in that stage. And, and, they're, and in that stage, they're also food for birds and bats and spiders and lizards and, and lots of other, other critters. Um, but on top of providing you know, a food resource, um, they can uh, 
clean the water columns. They do some, they do filter feeders will purify the water. They retain nutrients by taking, you know, by taking in nutrients out of the water column. They can break down leaves, leaf matter. Um, even freshwater mussels stabilize riverbanks, you know, or stabilize the riverbed um, by just being so numerous and, and holding the riverbed together. It's just, they, they offer a lot of services that have been, have been studied. And there's even folks out there putting um, number values on, on, the, on the ecosystem services, which are essentially those services that they're providing. Um, they've been putting a number value on that, you know, the, the amount of uh, water or the, the enhancement up to the water quality that, you know, this many mu- freshwater mussels are, are contributing. Oh, cool. And so when there's a dam situation that maybe uh, downstream there aren't as many bugs, do you see fewer of these like good services to the river? That's a complicated question. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, stumped her. <laughs> yeah, well, so that's, that actually came with my preliminary exam. <laughs> Someone wanted to know how many bugs do you need in the river? And it's such a complicated question. Because that, just that question of how many bugs you need has it has values associated with it. Because we have our we have our rivers, and what do we want from our rivers? Well, you know we have we have dams that provide us with power or flood control or water for irrigation, and but we also use that water downstream um, for other things. Um, we use it you know to fish or to irrigate lands further downstream, and the more you know. The more we want from our rivers, it you know it it just has to be a conversation of what we, how we want to utilize them, and how we want to take care of them essentially too. Because you you know you can use a river for so many things, but if you want to have a river that provides you power, and and your and for your human needs as well as you know sustaining a, a healthy aquatic insect community to help sustain your fish communities as well, it's it's a pretty complicated conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So. Sampling in the Grand Canyon sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that. It was so much fun. Uh, the first trip was with a bunch of scientists from the from the Grand Canyon a Monitoring and Research Center. And, and that was great. But an even more fun trip happened a couple months later in the next summer with a bunch of high school students. And I was a little apprehensive because you what, what happens is they... Um, the raft guides and the first group of high school students all start at Lee's Ferry and they, they row down to Bright Angel and that first group of high school students um, hikes out. And then I hiked in with a second group. We got in the same raft, same raft guides that had been on the original part of the trip and we floated down the rest of the way down to Diamond Creek. And if there's any high school students listening, they should Google Grand Canyon Youth and, and, and do some research about that because it's just the coolest organization you take, I mean, there's it's very there's very little opportunities to get down in the Grand Canyon on boats for for young kids. It's so it's such an expensive trip usually, and these trips are pretty cheap. And you go on these trips, and they always have scientists. And the way they do the reason they have the permits for these trips is that the that Grand Canyon Youth Organization pairs with the USGS, and they they have research permits to do these trips. And so on our trip. We, we collected the bugs for my, for my research in the tributaries. And we also, we collected bats and rats and lizards. And that was for a stable isotope study, looking at um, the resources that are used, whether these resources are coming from, you know, the main stem river or the tributary or terrestrial inputs. So. 
quick question. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you had a little competition for these uh, this army of, of high schoolers. You're like, hey, come on, let's dredge up some bugs over here in the river. And then there's another woman who is, you know, clipping <laughs> clipping feathers off of birds and stuff. How was well, that? <laughs> well, uh, for some reason, the kids all wanted to help me instead of Christina. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that was. I, uh, I'm trying to remember. They definitely... They didn't get as much into noosing. So when you try to catch a lizard, you put uh, a noose on the end of a stick. Made, and the noose is made out of like uh, floss. And so, and so you're like trying to like slowly put this little little loop over the head of the lizard without it running away, which you'd think kids would be all into. But for some reason, they really just wanted to find the bugs with me. Hmm. So I'd give them all nets and, <laughs> and they'd stomp around in the creek and, fl- you know, you just rough up the substrate, the rocks there and the, and the insects jump up into the water column, float into a net. And then you can look in the pan. They really like looking in the pan, too. So you put all your bugs in a pan, a white pan. <laughs> and as they're like you know, swimming around, you try to scoop them up with a little um, scooper that you've made that's a, a piece of net that you've rubber banded to a pencil <laughs> and you try to just sit there and scoop up because they're fast and yeah, so you, yeah. you try to sit there and scoop them up and put them into a vial so it's like a mini net it's a mini net so you got a big net then you got a mini net and then I gave them a number so they had a goal you know it's like I need I need 30 from each creek go oh that's awesome mm-hmm. how many how many high school students about a dozen on each of those of those halves Oh, that's mm-hmm. cool. And it was like, um, how long? Uh, eight days, I think. It's like, or maybe like uh, eight nights, nine days. It was so much fun. So was it the day to day, like every day you're floating down the river or was it just the first day and the last day? Oh, so it's every day. So every day. So we had to go about a hundred miles in eight days. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and they do take motorboats down the Grand Canyon, but for these trips, they all have rowboats, and so you have a raft guide that's rowing, and you have two kids and a and a, a scientist sitting in a boat, or um, or just two or three kids, and um, so you row. Maybe some days are shorter than others. Some days are pretty long, but it's about ten miles every day. Get up in the morning, you know, getting high schoolers out of bed. Uh, it's kind of slow in the morning, <laughs> and even in the even in the Grand Canyon, and uh, cook breakfast, get in the boats, paddle. Stop at tributaries along the way, collect bugs, and then get to camp, set up camp, cook dinner. The kids helped doing dishes. Kids kids helped everything. They helped cooking, cleaning, uh, setting up camp. And every night at camp, we also set up fish traps to uh, catch fish that night. That was uh, just to, to look, we'll look them in the next morning, um, measure them. And if they did not have a pit tag, which is a little marker saying that they had been caught and like an ID number, then we'd put one in them too. Sweet. So that sounds like a great opportunity for high schoolers. And that was Grand Canyon Youth. Yeah. Yeah. So check it out, high schoolers. I just want to remind the listeners that you are tuned into 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. And this is Inspiration Dissemination. We're sitting down with our guest, Aaron Abernathy from Integrative Biology. And Aaron, if you would just give that one sentence, you know, what is your research about one more time? Yeah, I'm looking at how uh, invertebrate Aquatic invertebrate communities are structured downstream of dams in the Colorado River Basin. And she was just telling us about her work with high schoolers through the Grand Canyon Youth 
uh, organization and how they were helping her sample. But I want to know, like, as when you were a high schooler, what were you doing and how did you end up? Did you have great FaceTime with, bi- or you know, uh, researchers like yourself or how did you end up where you are today? I did, actually. My parents are both uh, scientists. Uh, and so we, we spent a lot of time outside exploring nature, hunting and fishing and I just I saw my parents having so much fun, especially my dad just traveling around and uh, doing a lot of hunting and 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 restoration and conservation work. And I was just like, that looks like a lot of fun. How do I how do I have as much fun as these guys are having? (laughs) Sign me up. Yeah, sign me up. (laughs) So what was the path like for you? Where did you go to undergrad? So I went to undergrad at Appalachian State uh, in Boone, North Carolina. And um, there I started kayaking and uh, whitewater kayaking. Early on, there was a class at, un, in, at, at that undergrad institution that would teach you how to kayak. And so um, from there, I, spent a, I started spending a lot of time on rivers um, and specifically rivers in uh, North Carolina, Tennessee, that area. There's a lot of uh, dam um, rivers that are controlled by dams and they'll have recreational releases. So releases specifically for kayakers and rafters. And, um, after getting, you know, more interested in that, in that dynamic, um, I started looking at the biology department at Appalachian state and there was actually a professor, um, Dr. Mike Gangloff studying dams and studying the impacts of dams on freshwater mussels and invertebrates and fish. And so I, I, I think I just walked, knocked on the door one day and was like, do you guys need any help? And started doing field work with them. And it was just the most fun, uh, work and I'm doing air quotes cause it just didn't feel like work, but it was the most fun I'd had. You know, you can, you can do this research on rivers and, and had a great crew and it was really, it got me, got me hooked. So. Mm-hmm. And then you, uh, how did you decide then after undergrad, you've been working with dams, you've, you've found that you're like this lover of kayaking. <laughs> Why not just be a kayaker? Why did you decide <laughs> to go to graduate school? Um, well, I knew from my parents that, uh, or I guess I saw the benefit of getting grad degrees from my parents. Uh, so, and I and I saw that um, that maybe the lifestyle of a kayaker wasn't the most uh, productive for for. I mean, it it can be. There are, I guess, there are some people that make a good life out of it. Um, but I wanted something that was a bit more um, impactful in the, in the conservation realm and, and, you know, able to do a bit more scientific research rather than just paddling the rivers. I wanted to get paid to paddle the rivers essentially and, and study them. And so I took a bit of a hiatus from river research for my master's degree at the university of Georgia. Um, cause that, it just looked like a really cool project to go study, uh, invasive species and scavenging out in Hawaii. So I did that for two years and then, um, but I'd, I'd actually interviewed with Dave Lytle, um, before my master's, um, and decided to go ahead and do that program at UGA. But then after my master's finished, I got a fellowship that, that, you know, guaranteed me a couple of years of funding for a PhD. And so I decided to contact Dave again and get back in on that, that, uh, dam and river research. But before we go uh, go to where you are now, kind of tell us a little bit about what you were doing with the invasive species in yeah. Hawaii. Yeah, so that project was super stinky, but very interesting. Stinky, um, stinky. So we uh, we set out over over six hundred carcasses in Hawaii, 
of invasive species. So we put out dead invasive species with uh, trail cameras uh, pointed at the carcass to see what would eat them. And um, early on, the hypothesis, like we were setting out cane toads, which have this a toxin in there, and they have two toxin glands behind their eyes. And we set out mongooses, which are just very vile, vile smelling. Um, and so we, we weren't sure if there'd be anything that would eat them. Um, but there was, there was, there was uh, other invasive species. So rats and mongooses and pigs and feral cats would come by and eat these carcasses. Um, so we were looking at the dynamic of what vertebrates, what species of vertebrates are actually us- utilizing this, this carcass resource. And also what's the proportion of the carcasses going to invertebrates. So the bugs versus the vertebrates. And kind of what did you find? Did you find mm. that, um, Who's eating mm-hmm. out there? Yeah, the invasive species were utilizing those invasive species carcasses. Okay. Yeah. So, so like, for example, a um, native bird is not, you didn't find any native birds like eating yeah, raccoons so they, or something? <laughs> I don't know. So luckily they raccoons. don't have raccoons yet in Hawaii. We only put out invasive species carcasses that they'd already had on the island. <laughs> so we didn't bring any raccoons from Georgia. Thank goodness. Um, that would have been more that stinky. That would have been bad. Been very stinky. Um, yeah. So they do have a native uh, hawk and owl that that could could have put in, you know could conceivably scavenge but they occur in such low densities that um we didn't get any even though we set out you know seven almost 700 carcasses yeah wow they must be really spread out yeah we saw i think i saw one owl and one hawk while i was there over two summers not a lot were you on one island yeah we were just on the big island okay yeah but so you put away that master's, got to go to Hawaii for a <laughs> while, and uh, lived in, in Georgia for the rest of the time, right? So, so, and then you already said that you had kind of had something going in your networking with David Lytle here at Oregon State, and then you got a fellowship. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so I got the uh, GRFP, Graduate Research Fellowship Program, which is a very sweet fellowship. Uh, guarantees or it gives you five years of, or sorry, it gives you three years of stipend funding, but you're in the program for five years. And um, I knew this integrative biology program here at OSU guaranteed you funding for five years. So I knew that the other two years would be would be taken care of, uh, usually through teaching assistantships. Um, and so I had that. I got that scholarship. Um, I didn't have to use it for my master's because my master's was um, was funded. And so I saved it and I'm using it now here at OSU. And um, I was super interested in the work that Dave was doing and also his connections with the USGS because he'd already developed those connections um, before I showed up. Right. And so you were attracted partially also, I think you mentioned, because some of the uh, research that you already talked about with the tailwaters study was already kind of in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. They'd already collected the samples. I actually uh, picked them up from the USGS and Flagstaff when I drove out here to move to Oregon. There you go, yeah. yeah. I would definitely say from personal experience, <laughs> if you can find a PhD track that already has some data collected for mm-hmm. it, it's definitely gonna expedite your time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but we can talk more about that on a different episode of Inspiration <laughs> Dissemination. Uh, anyway, and so uh, now you're uh, again at Oregon State in David Lytle's lab and uh, you study invertebrate communities downstream of dams. So what a, what's looking like for the future? So I'm keeping my options open at this point. Um, 
I don't want to, I'm trying to utilize, OSU has a lot of good resources for preparing yourself professionally for different careers. And so I'm trying to utilize those. Um, but at this point, I'm thinking a lot about agency um, work and nonprofits that would that would allow me to utilize my expertise in water resources and dams and, and aquatic insects and some some connection or combination of those um, to to help conservation efforts. Yeah. So moving away from the research or do they have they do have research, research? positions? Yeah. So That's this whole cool. USG office USGS office down in Flagstaff is research focused. So a lot of there are state agencies that that are more monitoring, um, but but there's there's definitely a research component. One would hope, you know, it's like <laughs> that's the goal. If if you're out there doing the conservation and doing the management, there also should be a component of 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 research so you know that you're what's what's um, uh, informing your management and your conservation is actually based in 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 science and help you can figure figure out the causality of whatever is negatively affecting the species you're hoping to conserve. So maybe this is a dangerous question to ask you, but so in the future, are you looking into uh, good management of dams as in like keeping dams where they are? Or are you going to be like the monkey wrench gang out there advocating for dam removal? <laughs> so that's a really interesting question. And one, when I, when I first moved out to Corvallis, I actually heard a talk. Um, it was a science pub talk by Gordon Grant. And he, he's a, he's a researcher on campus. Uh, I think he works with the forest service and he mentioned that in the age of climate change, we might, you know, there's a lot of dam removal that's going on in the U S now, but we might have a renewed appreciation for our dams and that the level of control they give us over our water resources. And I don't know if I entirely agree with that because, you know, with climate change, you don't really know how the weather patterns are going to change. You know, where you have your dam currently may no longer help you manage that water. You know, it might not be as much water over there as you as as was predicted when the dam was put in uh, 50 or 100 years ago. Right. Um, you know, so it could it could potentially, but we don't know that. But these dam structures are there. And even in this, I mean, in this country, we have a lot of dams and we are removing them, but not at a very fast rate. Um, and they're actually in a state of disrepair. That is, it is a little scary. It's not a little scary. It's, it's kind of scary. It's pretty scary. Um, the, the level of disrespe- disrepair of our infrastructure is, is quite scary. Um, and so I think, I think that'll be the biggest challenge that, that we face is figuring out how to manage our dams safely, not only for our, you know, like number one for the public safety downstream of the dams, um, but also for the aquatic communities that are downstream of them. So are there, are there ways that we can manage them in a more um, ecosystem friendly way? But I think a higher priority in the near future will be just to ensure that they are safe structures. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're getting around to the end of our interview. Maggie, do you want to remind Aaron of our traditions? So we have two traditions. One is... Um, any advice that you would give to listeners? Um, and the second is a song request. Yeah. Yeah. So let's hear your advice. So my advice is, um, and I was thinking of this one as for, you know, people that are thinking about careers or, or, or high school students early on. Um, and that's to, to figure out what makes you the most happy and that you have the most fun doing and then figure out how to make that your job. <laughs> yeah. 
because that'll make you happy. And then that's what's the what else is the point of life but to, right. to find happiness? So it's very direct. Yes, direct path. <laughs> Fun. I can do this and get paid. Yes. Yeah. Figure that go out with that. and go with that. Yeah. <laughs> and then the song I I picked is uh, John John Prine's Paradise, and and this is actually one of the raft guides on the trip with the high school students played this with her guitar and sang it in this canyon. And we were all, you know, all the kids and the adults are, are lounging in this, in this canyon out of the heat. And, and she just played this song and it was like, I grew up listening to the song. I was just like, Oh, just start crying. It was so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this is, that's, that's inspiration dissemination. Then Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, you can always come on again, I will remind you, at, uh, you know, after it's all wrapped up and you have a beautiful story in a bow. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, you, for the listeners out here, this is Inspiration Dissemination, and we're on every Sunday at 7 p.m. So uh, definitely tune in next week. And for now, though, we'll be playing John Prine's Paradise, which is a request of our guest, Aaron Abernathy. Thanks so, so much. Yep. Over and out from Inspiration Dissemination on KBVR Corvallis.